So we're now beginning the third week of Advent. And Advent is an annual rhythm, a time in which is intended to slow us down, help us prepare for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Advent is meant to be a time of hope and joy and love and peace, beautiful virtues. But this year, I've, as I've thought about them, it's been hard not to conclude that they don't feel a little bit hollow. Like, are they real? Um, maybe even wishful thinking right now. Uh, where we are in life. This, this time last year, things were more normal, right? Things were more comfortable. Things were more like we're used to. There wasn't as much struggle as there is right now in our nation. Now, it's been a rough 30 days for my wife and I and, and our family. Uh, COVID, and we weren't the asymptomatic lucky ones, oh no, we, uh, I can honestly say, I don't remember the last time I was that sick. Uh, it was awful for me. It was awful for her. Um, I would go down the list of, Manon knows all of the uh, symptoms that I had because I answered yes to almost every question she asked me. Um, and right at the beginning of the COVID symptoms, like the next day, Sarah's mom died. And at 3 a.m. the next morning, our kitchen flooded. And then our dog started having seizures again, and we are faced with the possible decision to put him down. And I bang my knee, and I will probably be scheduled for a partial or total reconstruction of my left knee sometime in January or February. Oh, and to end COVID, we all had strep. Again, it's like, it's like the, the good news, bad news thing, but there was never any good news, it felt. You know, it just felt all... All bad. I mean, as we approach, as I approach Christmas this year, I really haven't felt like celebrating. There's been too many other things to think about, too many other things that, that are just stare, too many layers of just emotion. I mean, is there really anything worth celebrating? That's where our minds can go when it feels like it's just one bad news thing after another. And, and I know many of you can relate. It's, it's rough in America right now. Uh, the election and the future of our nation seems to be on the brink. Division is rampant. Abortion, mistrust. And, and hear me out. Satan is leveraging everything he possibly can to divide, to create fear, to worry, and and many, unfortunately, are kind of succumbing to that. They're, they're losing patience and grace with one another. They're, they're becoming arrogant in their opinions, or, or they're oppressing, or being oppressed. I mean, how can we speak of hope in a time such as this, right? How can we speak of joy and love, and how can we envision peace? As we limp along to the close of 2020 a year marked by violence and injustice and division and death. And I can't guarantee 2021 is going to be better, although I firmly believe that the moment in time that we are in right now is not a forever thing. We are going to get past where we are today. But I think it's worth asking, what place 
does a quiet season of Advent have in such a chaotic, turbulent world? But it actually seems to me that as, as I've thought about this, that that's exactly what we need. That's what we need. We need a quiet moment. It's easy for us to think that we're living in the worst of times. That it's never been this bad before. Okay, well, contrary to the Hallmark Channel myth, Christmas is not a season of good vibes and tasty treats, though I'm down for both. The historical context of Christmas is injustice and death. And it has been that way from the very beginning. And to understand this, I want to remind us of the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. At the time of Jesus' birth, God's people, Israel, had been in exile for 400 years. God had warned them they would lose everything, but they didn't listen. God, so God sent nearby nations, first to Syria and then Babylon, to act as his instruments of judgment on the nation of Israel. The prophetic depictions of this time are nearly too graphic to even imagine. In Lamentations, we read of an entire people, God's people, either killed or enslaved hundreds of miles from their homes, of women being raped by the conquering armies, of of parents so desperate for food that they eat their own children, of Israel's last king forced to watch his sons slaughtered in front of him, only then to have his eyes gouged out so that the last image to remain in his mind forever would be that of a dead family. And then after this gruesome conquest came the long, lonely period of exile. God seemed silent. God's people were surrounded by injustice and death and could only suffer and cry out in lament. But then we begin the New Testament and it begins to change. God's silence ends. No prophet or angel had spoken for centuries. But suddenly, angels begin to appear, bringing promise. God's king is coming. And Israel's long, lonely exile is coming to an end. Isaiah captured the unlikely hope of this period with his prophetic promise in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, when he recorded, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For those who for generations have existed in darkness, the promise of light might seem too good to be true. When the darkness closes in like that, it's easy to feel like hope is foreign and maybe even offensive. What do you mean I can have hope and peace? Do you not know what my life is like? And yet, The Gospels record many of God's people responding in hope. Mary responds in confidence in God's plan, even though it rocks her world and changes the future which she had envisioned for herself. Anna and Simeon rejoice at the sight of the newborn Jesus. These men and women 
hint that with Christ's arrival, darkness really might give way to light. But this thrill of hope is tenuous and fragile. You see, Jesus' birth moves Herod to jealous anger. And how does he respond? He responds with unimaginable violence as he murders Jewish children in attempt to kill Jesus. Matthew 2.16 records this. I can't even imagine the loss of hope in those moms and dads that that, that would conjure up. Maybe hear word of Jesus coming and, and the Messiah is here and then and now this. Matthew recognizes that the injustices of the exile have not disappeared. And, and this is also comes from, from the book of Isaiah. Uh, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. To many, that may seem like a failure. I mean, what about the the hope and the peace that the angels spoke of? Where is it? You would think that God's first act to overturn this long period of injustice would be a decisive act of justice and victory, right? But instead, we see the weak and vulnerable put to the sword. We hear Rachel weeping again, even as the Son of God comes to earth. So had something gone wrong? It would seem upon deep investigation that the Christmas story is actually pretty dark. But something prevents us from reading these events in despair. Pastor Michael talked about it two weeks ago, three weeks ago. It's a name, Emmanuel. First mentioned by the prophet Isaiah, Emmanuel, we know, means God with us. You see, Jesus' birth delivers far more than Israel expected, far more than what they had hoped for. It was different, much different than what Israel wanted and expected, but it was better. It was much better. They expected a king who would take them back to their homeland, but God sent much more. He sent himself. Christmas commemorates the moment when God entered into our story in flesh and blood, a real man. He entered in the middle of the story, in the middle of injustice and death, right when he planned to. It was in his timing. It was at the right moment when it was best for him to do so. And this is good news for us. Because we feel like we're living in darkness, but within the midst of that darkness, Jesus is there with us. Emmanuel. It's it's good news for us, especially when we're living a story of injustice and death. 
And one day, God will end all injustice and death. But in the present, Christmas reminds us that God's first step in ending injustice and death was to submit himself to injustice and death. Jesus enters our suffering. He entered it then, poor in birth, persecuted in life, scorned in death. And he enters it with us today as Emmanuel, God with us. On our Christmas tree at home, which we finally put up, we always, at the end, after we've put the angel on top, we have a a nail that we put somewhere inside the Christmas tree where nobody else really notices it but serves as a reminder for us in our home as we know that that's there, that the reason that Jesus came was so that he could say, it is finished. His death, his resurrection, it is finished. That's why we have hope right now in the midst of the darkness that we live in. Because we know how the story ends. And, and in, as a Christ follower in, in faith in Christ, we know how our story ends. Now, I want you to hang with me here this morning. And as I've thought about hope this week in the shepherds, I was drawn to Psalm 23. So turn to Psalm 23, if you would, in your Bibles this morning, your Bible app, or grab a, book, a Bible in front of you and turn to Psalm 23. And as you turn there, I want you to think about this with me. Who wrote Psalm 23? David, right? David wrote Psalm 23. What was David before he was a king? He was a shepherd, right? Yeah. And God's hand was on him. In fact, David is an ancestor of Jesus. David, Jesus is born in the line of David. It was all prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. And what does David write in this psalm about the Lord, about Jesus? What's his major topic? That the Lord is our what? Shepherd. So you have a shepherd writing about a shepherd. It was something that that David was very experienced with, sheep and shepherds. And what does God say that we are like? Sheep. Yeah, I don't much care for that comparison, honestly. Uh, but it's exactly right. We, we are lost. We, we stray. We are prone to wander, just like a sheep. We are often under attack and unable to defend ourselves. Having raised sheep myself, we die for no reason. I mean, we fit the description of sheep perfectly. And we need a shepherd and David, a shepherd, says that, that God, that Jesus, is that shepherd that we need. And, and then who are one of the first groups that get the message that Jesus has arrived? But shepherds. I mean, again, as I've thought about that, I don't know if there's any huge significant meaning, but wow. I mean, I just, as I think about that, I think about how, how, how tender-hearted God is. And how he works through history. And, and he, he works out the details of life. 
And as I think about my good shepherd, and I think about myself as, as a, pretty, a person of pretty humble beginnings, a person of pretty low, you know, economic, all, all of that stuff, status, I, I just, just feel like I can, can relate to some of those shepherds. At times, many of us can relate even more. They were the outcast, kind of the outcasts of the society. or they, they worked hard, but they smelled. I mean, they hung out with sheep all day long and all night long. Out in the, out in the pastures caring for them. A little bit more about that in a second. But, but even to the smallest details, God is working in history. That includes today. In your life and in mine, in the darkness that we experience. Jesus, Emmanuel, is with us. And we can have hope in that. And that can bring peace to our life. Even if things in our history and our story aren't turning out like we thought they would or should even. I mean, the incredible benefit of being a sheep is the fact that God is our shepherd. He is our good shepherd, according to John 10, 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is also our great shepherd, according to Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he is our chief shepherd according to 1 Peter 5.4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's our protector. Now, I want to read Psalm 23, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to just listen, maybe picture, picture yourself in, in the place that he's talking about. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, God is our shepherd and friend. What an incredible thought. David is talking about the God of the universe. Right? The, the creator of all things. The savior of humankind. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Almighty, the everlasting, the ever-present, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Think about that for just a moment. 
the one and only, the one true God is your shepherd and your friend. Or at least he can be. As I read, uh, as I read this psalm, it's like, it's, it's like opening a Christmas gift on Christmas morning. It, it really does cause me to feel warm and loved. It, it causes me to get a sense that I am so blessed in the moment right now, even though there seems to be this storm raging on outside of myself. A sense of calm and peace that, that I can lay off these and worries at the feet of the shepherd to whom David is describing. The peace I experience, it's, it's not from escape. It's not from refusing to recognize or ignoring the reality of life. And the contentment that I sense is not because of complacency. It's not arrogance on my part. As I look deeper into this psalm and understand it more, it brings a readiness on my part to face the deep darkness and, and imminent attacks that occur on my life. And it also reveals an incredible love and commitment on God's part, which directs us toward not a material goal, but to the Lord himself. So even though we're going to be looking at seven blessings that we experience because of God being our great shepherd, I want us to resist the temptation to make this psalm about us because David's not describing us. Uh, he's describing God in Psalm 23. And, and it's steeped in the theology of the early days when God made his covenant with his people you see, David knows that God. That's who David had intimate experiences with. And since he is the eternal Lord, his people are not surprised to find him as the New Testament shepherd too, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, who will one day appear with glory that will never fade away and who will lead us to springs of living water. So seven blessings we experience that give us hope. The first blessing we experience is rest and refreshment. Who doesn't need that today? In some ways, it feels like I've had enough rest in the last three weeks because, you know, by one o'clock, I'm ready for a big long nap. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. God provides for our needs. He provides us with our daily bread. And we think often, again, that it's our toil and our hard work that provides for our families and puts food on the table and a roof over our head. But without God's provision, that's not even possible. It's from him. Too often, life becomes about us and we begin to slowly stray away from the one who really provides for us. Let's be reminded that it's he who provides us with rest and refreshment. We can know that we will always have what we need because Yahweh, our shepherd, provides green pastures and quiet waters. Remember back to 
1987, sitting next to my mother's chair. She's there, oxygen, in the last days of her life. And my brother, Dennis, is sitting there next to her chair with his Bible open to Psalm 23. And, and Dennis says, Mom, I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to begin reading this psalm verse by verse. And I just want you to picture yourself here. And, and as he read it, he, and he's, as, um, she described out loud what it felt like to, to sit in the green grass and to sit by the quiet water. And she's envisioning this and she's, she's describing it. And it's, it's as if she's actually there. And there's this sense of peace. And, and, and this sense of love and, and joy that comes over her countenance as she sits in her chair, kind of still struggling to breathe. Again, when we rely on God completely for the needs in our lives and we take the focus off of ourselves and we put it on him, we truly do receive rest and refreshment. Not because we're ignoring the reality of the life that we're living, but because God is entering into that with us. He's here with us. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 records Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest and refreshment. The second blessing is restoration. Verse 3, he says, he restores my soul. When we are in sin, we are lost, our souls are lost, we're broken, we deserve death, we need a Savior. Our souls need restored. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Our souls need restoration and God is the only one who can do that and he provides for that restoration. It's, it was made possible through the gift of his son, Jesus. The wages of sin is death, Paul says, but he doesn't stop there. He says the gift of God is eternal life. Yeah, I mean, we stand condemned already. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we stand condemned. But Jesus also says in John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world. Why will, while we were yet sinners, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Emmanuel, God with us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So my question to those of you watching online and everyone here in this room is, have you believed? Have you surrendered? Have you communicated to God in a simple prayer of confession and release of control of your life to him? It's the only way for your soul to be restored. It's the only way for there to be peace and joy and hope and love in your life. Why not do that today? <laughs> Why not? Rest and refreshment and the restoration of our souls 
What blessings from the good shepherd? Emmanuel, God with us. The third blessing we experience is guidance. The end of verse three. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And of all of the verses in Psalm 23, the end of this verse makes it the most clear that this isn't about us. It's about him. He guides us, right? That's, that's not about us, really. That's about him and his ability to give us direction. And it's for his name's sake, not mine. I so want it to be about mine. And, and again, God blesses us and he loves us and, and he gives us good gifts. He's an amazing king, shepherd. But it's a great reminder that life and all that we experience and receive is more about God than it is about us. God doesn't just turn us loose to do as we know best like the British schoolboys in the book, right? Lord of the Flies. They end up on an island. It's just... All of these juveniles, no leadership, no, just kind of figure it out. God doesn't do that. God didn't do that. From Adam and Eve, despite their disobedience and fall until the present, God has given us guidance. God has been our Yahweh. I am. And right now, he is our greatest source of guidance and, and, and that guidance, the, 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 the physical, actual, to me, um, source of our guidance right now is right here. God gave us this word. He, he, he told us things about himself that he wanted us to know. And it's enough. It's enough to live a life today where we can have hope and peace and salvation. And where we can, uh, where, where God can transform our minds and our hearts from being selfish and arrogant to being humble and sacrificial. Rest and refreshment, restoration of our soul's guidance. And number four, the fourth blessing, is protection. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Hope in the darkness and trouble. We can have confidence and peace even in the midst of darkness. Even when it seems unbearable, when our circumstances seem like, I'm telling you what, day nine of COVID, I was ready to smother myself with my pillow. I'm serious. It was, I was done. I'm like, I was over this seven days ago. And it's hard in the darkness and pain and struggle to think, well, to think clearly. And, and again, all of us in the house were sick, so not one of us could say to the other, you know, hang in there. Jesus is with us. He is our Emmanuel. I, that's what I want you to hear today. If you've been struggling and things have been fuzzy and foggy, please be encouraged by what you hear today and what we read in God's word. Um, Protection in the valley. Uh, of course, our desire is to not experience the shadow of death at all, but that's not the life that we have. That's not the life that we live. That's not reality. Uh, it's just assumed, as David is writing this, that we will experience dark and scary and hard valleys. He doesn't say if. 
It says, even though I do. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. So we shouldn't be surprised when we have trouble. And we know that that to be a fact of life, many things come to our minds when we think about the valley of the shadow of death. But we can't stop in the middle of that verse because that's where Satan wants us to do. He wants us to stop with that and become discouraged with the troubles in life. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. And Jesus is telling, look, the disciples haven't experienced the absolute darkness that they're going to experience yet. And Jesus is preparing them. He's saying, hey, look, guys, um, look, just, just recognize that in this world you're going to have trouble. Look, trouble's are coming. But, but, Jesus says, take heart. Because get this, I have overcome the world. Our Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, has overcome the world. Yeah, the world can throw trouble at us, but he has already overcome that. And he is present with us as we live in that. Rest and refreshment, restoration of our soul, guidance, unbelievable protection, and the fifth blessing we experience is discipline and correction. Yes, truly, it is a blessing. I mean, some of you parents, you like been blessing your kids all week long, right? Receiving this is a blessing depending on our attitude. The end of verse 4, David says, your rod, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What, what does a shepherd really use a rod and a staff for? You see it at, you know, you have shepherds in a Christmas presentation and a children and they're all carrying this staff. Well, what? I mean, you might think, well, it's to hook the sheep and that sort of thing, but, but actually the original uh, rods and staffs didn't have a hook on them. They had a club on the end or a knot. Uh, Philip Keller talks about this, and I tried to shorten it a little bit. He gives a great explanation of it, but each shepherd boy from the time he first starts to tend his father's flock takes pride in selecting in the selection of a rod and staff exactly suited for his own size and strength, he goes into the bush, selects a young sapling, which is dug from the ground. It's carved and whittled down with great care and patience. The enlarged base of the sapling where its trunk joins the roots is shaped into a smooth, rounded head of hard wood. The sapling itself is shaped to exactly fit the owner's hand. After he completes it, the shepherd boy spends hours practicing with his club learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for both himself and his sheep. The rod, in fact, was an extension of the owner's right arm. It stood as a symbol of strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. David killed wild animals with his rod and staff. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. The rod is used by the shepherd for the welfare of his sheep, namely that of discipline. I used a two-by-four when I was raising sheep. The club is used for this purpose perhaps more than any other. If the shepherd saw a sheep wandering away from its own or approaching poisonous weeds or getting too close to danger of one sort or another, the club would go whistling through the air to send the wayward animal scurrying back to the bunch. 
Another interesting use of the rod in the shepherd's hand was to examine and count the sheep. In the terminology of the Old Testament, this was referred to as passing under the rod. Ezekiel 20, verse 37, explains it this way, and I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. This meant not only coming under the owner's control and authority, but it also but also to be subject to his most careful, intimate, and firsthand examination. Search my heart, O God, David says. Pass me under the rod, I'm, I'm thinking he's thinking in his mind. A sheep that passed under the rod was one which had been counted and looked over with great care to make sure all was well within it. He opens the fleece with the rod. He runs his skillful hands over the body. He feels for any sign of trouble. He examines the sheep with care to see if all is well. This is a most searching process in entailing every intimate detail, and it is to a comfort to the sheep for in this way can its hidden problems be laid bare before the shepherd. I mean, we try to mitigate that today. We dock their tails so we don't have to worry about, you know, maggots and stuff getting caught in their tails and that sort of thing. I'm, I don't think they had little green Cheerios when they were raising uh, sheep back in the day. Be carefully inspected. So as we meditate on the first three points, guidance, protection, and discipline and correction, may we remember that sometimes in order for the chief shepherd to accomplish them, he must inflict some pain in our lives. He must put us under a microscope and show us what he has found. Just as a loving father or mother doesn't ignore the necessity to correct and discipline a child simply because it's too hard to do or because they are worried that maybe they might hurt their child's feelings, God loves us and is willing to risk us turning away from him in order to correct and discipline us because that's what's best for us. Rest and refreshment, restoration, guidance, protection, discipline, and correction. And the sixth blessing we experience is God, is cool assurance under pressure. Snag me a couple New batteries back there, Caleb, and bring them to me. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Think about the picture that David is uh, painting here. Many of David's enemies, they wanted to kill him. Now, maybe we'll quit breaking out. They wanted to kill him. <clears throat> I mean, there were times, and he, he ran for his life sometimes. He would, he would hide in caves. So imagine this. David is in a room full of his enemies, which actually intended, included one of his sons at the time who also wanted to kill him. 
They're all armed to the teeth with what they needed to actually pull off this assassination. And there is David sitting down at a table, completely exposed and vulnerable, eating an extravagant feast. His head has been anointed and his cup is overflowing. I mean, that's an amazing picture. Illogical? Yes, you would think he would want to be protecting himself, but impossible? No. That's not complacency. It's not confidence because David is simply ignoring the reality of his situation. It's cool assurance under pressure because he knows that God is in control. This applies to everything that happens in our life. When we start to worry, when we start to wonder if God is there, we need to remember that we can have cool assurance that God is with us. That the Holy Spirit is, is strengthening us and shining the light as we make decisions and walk through open doors. He's healing our nose when we bump into a closed door. God prepared the feast. God anointed his head. God caused his cup to overflow. David, when he was obedient and listening to God, could have an assurance that God would take care of him because he always did. In dark caves, in the midst of bloody battles, when he was in need of food, God took care of David. And we too experience this same blessing because of our great shepherd. We can have cool assurance under pressure. Paul explains it to us in Romans 8, 31 through 39, like this. What then shall we say in response to this? It's so hard to make this a reality in our life, isn't it? What then should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Really, is there anybody, not even Satan himself, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've got to take our focus off the storms. I, this is as much for me as it is for you. Trust me. We've got to take our focus off the storms and put it squarely on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, if there is one, that's how we have hope no matter what. Even in the midst of sickness and grief and national division and failure and everything bad and dark in our lives, nothing can separate us 
from the love of Jesus. Our shepherd. The final blessing is the greatest one of all. It goes beyond good experiences in this life. It goes beyond any great feast prepared in the presence of our enemies. It's the blessing of the new covenant. The greatest gift of all, number seven, is forever faithfulness. Look at the last verse. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In light of or darkness, a dark valley of the death of a loved one, that verse speaks such hope and peace to me. When I know that they have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and I, and, and I read that in the voice of the person who is gone, and we can read that as well, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word translated follow there doesn't mean to bring up the rear. The Hebrew word here means to pursue. To pursue fervently. God is pursuing us. As our great shepherd and friend, what a great way to end this morning's message. What great confidence we can have in life. God hasn't abandoned us. God hasn't left us high and dry. God hasn't just left us with a reality of trouble. I mean, our reality might be heartache. It might be physical pain. It might be loneliness. It might be fear. It might be all of those things at the same time. Some of the pain um, could actually be the rod and the staff. But let's remember this, that God is our great shepherd. He's not going to whack us and say later, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, when he disciplines us, it's because we needed it. If, if, if the United States of America ceases to be the United States of America, honestly, it's because we deserved it. Judgment, correction, Again, we, we read lots of times, you know, Israel, God, God proclaimed Israel, you need to do this, you need to be faithful to me, you need to, you need to, you need to, and, and we just read at the beginning this morning, they didn't listen. So what did God do? Assyria, Babylon, over 400 years of exile, silence from God. Was he unjust and unfair in that? Absolutely not. That's what they needed. Maybe that's what I need. I don't know. I, I don't want it. I pray not. And I pray that we can return, that we can repent, that he will restore our land because we have turned to him. But I don't know how it's going to play out. But I do know this, that God is our great shepherd, that his goodness and love is passionate and that he is intensely pursuing us. And that this pursuit will be to the very end of our days on this earth. For all time and through all experiences. And when it's completely over for us on this earth, 
David assures us that if we are in Christ Jesus, if our soul has truly been restored, then we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Rest and refreshment, restoration of our soul, guidance, protection, discipline and correction, cool assurance under pressure, and forever faithfulness. That is our God, and with him as our good shepherd, we can have hope and peace and joy and love. Romans 8, 39, I'll close with this. Paul says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful, for loving us, for being sacrificial, for, for enduring unjust treatment for us. And I pray that as we dwell on Psalm 23 this week, even as we approach and as we look further in depth with our husbands and our wives and our friends and our children into the the Christmas story, the events that occurred surrounding the birth of Jesus. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to experience that joy and that peace. Peace to all men and women. Father, help us to slow down a bit and to focus on you. And now I pray that you would receive uh, the sounds of our voices, the praises of our hearts and our minds in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.